Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. In some ways, I don't think of us as being travel tech. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in a lot of ways, travel tech would be like the OTAs, uh, which tend to be in in my personal opinion, kind of like feeding all the problems with the travel industry. They're, they're aggregating, they're slashing margins. Um, you know, they're taking the money away from the people actually delivering the experiences. Um, they're driving you to the top selling products, which means that people go to the same places instead of scattering out and having really diverse experiences. So to me, that's what's kind of often called travel tech. It tends to be high volume. Um, and I, I think a little bit aggressive. Um, so when we started Yearly, we very specifically were focused on sort of the niche experience world. And, you know, yay, it turns out that's a thing that people really value. So, you know, we've been sort of riding that trend. Uh, in some ways, you might call us res tech um, because you can book on the platform, register, complete forms, stuff like that. So sometimes we get categorized like that. But ultimately, I think of us as being uh, B2B SaaS. So we're software as a service, right? So, uh, you know, when I built Yuli, I was, you know, I had been working for a company that sold to enterprises, right? Like, if you weren't Victoria's Secret, you couldn't afford our software, right? And it's like, okay, well, the people that I see creating a lot of amazing value in the world aren't up there. They're, you know, running 10 trips a year, 20 trips a year. And so I wanted to make enterprise quality software accessible to people who who couldn't pay those bigger prices. And so SaaS is the way to do that, right? And um, so that's what we set out to do. We now support people through their whole journey. Hi, everyone. We're back with another episode of The Tourpreneur, and I am here with Jen Fine, who I'm very excited to talk with today. Uh, Jen is co-founder of Yuli, which many of you probably already know. Jen is very active in our Facebook group, and um, I bump into her often at events. I know she's all over the place. She works as head of product and CEO, and Yuli is one of our sponsors for our very first civil conference. I'm very excited to see the team there. And we've been using Yuli actually, so I'm very intimate with the product from a user standpoint. Um, our whole uh, conference website has been through Yuli. So it's been really fun to work with the team and and go through the, you know, all the questions and answers that the website has and figure it out for myself and, you know, try and problem solve them and be like, I just have to email customer support. I can't figure it out. So I am that client. Um, and what we're here for. Yeah, good. It's always user error in the end, right? Always very politely, someone will point out that I have missed something or, or done a, a step. Um, but I appreciate their patience. And um, and yeah, as I said, I met Jen for the first time at a conference, which was the Women in Travel Summit. 
which maybe we'll circle back to because I constantly am promoting this conference for tour operators. I don't know that we're going to do that. Well, let's see this. I like to think we'll partner with them again this year. I haven't reached out to them yet. Um, it will be in Salt Lake City uh, in 2024. So hopefully we'll partner with them again. We'll get a little discount again. Um, and everyone should go. How did you like WITS? Was it your first time? Uh, yeah, that was my first time. It was, uh, I thought it was a great event. Yeah. Um, they picked great destinations. It was Puerto Rico um, last time. So that was, that was just in May, right? Like that was not that long. It just ago. happened. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely love uh, the, the wonderful team. She's wonderful. So, you know, Marissa, Beth, uh, you know, they're phenomenal event coordinators. Uh, so highly recommend check it out if it's, if it's the right fit for your business, you will meet a lot of people. I say that's the only thing for me is like, there were all these people and I was like, I can't, there's not enough time. So but... many people. Yeah, they draw a huge crowd, a huge crowd. Yeah. It's it's a fun crowd. It's a really fun crowd. Yeah, but absolutely. And and but we I also made some really wonderful connections as well. And you do that, you sort of end up, because it's so big, you sort of like end up with your people, you know? Yeah, really yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. So Jen, for those of us who, who aren't as familiar, I am very curious to hear how you came to travel. Was it through tech? Was it through travel? And then you went into chat? How did, how did you get here? Yeah. Well, so um, my background is that, that I'm a geek, so um, a computer software engineer. And I actually worked for an email marketing company out of New York called Cheetah Mail. Anybody who's this from being it all. Yes. Yeah. We were the first platform that like actually sent email at scale. We sent for Yahoo. We sent for American Express. We went sent for Victoria's Secret. So that's where I learned how to build large scale, well, in that case, marketing platform. Um, and as that it kind of evolved and I was watching that uh, progression of people who were sending paper mail converting to sending email. So I watched that sort of maturation of businesses from the sort of offline to the online marketing world. And that was a huge education in a lot of different ways. And then uh, I sort of, you know, got the travel bug and wanted to have an international experience. So I, I was transferred actually to their Asia Pacific division because Australia and uh, China were growing a lot. So I transferred out um, from there. And I spent four years basically on a plane all over Asia Pacific, meeting with all the teams, rolling out products throughout Asia Pacific. And so I learned um, never to uh, book through certain travel agencies because I would end up in middle seats. And I was like, and I would just, I was, I got permission to book my own travel. Like I had to get an exception in the corporate world. Right. Um, and I, and so, and then I was in Japan for one of my work trips. I was like, Hey guys, I'm in Japan for the week and I'm going to go do, uh, Mount Fuji. And, um, so who wants to come with me? And then all of a sudden I had nine friends showing up. And they were all like, where, where, where am I supposed to be? Who's coming in? Blah, blah, blah. I sent them this beautiful Word document that had all the details in it and they refused to read it. And so I realized like, oh, they want something slightly different than what I think of as the right information. And so that's where the idea for Yuli was born in terms of like what the traveler sees and what the planner sees are different, right? Um, it's it's the same information, but just structured differently. There's there's more more data for the planner, and there's just like 
Where do I need to be? How much does it cost? What do I need to do? Right? That's all they want to know. Fascinating. Okay, so you almost really came out of this need to create a template almost to like solve the challenge for tour operators that people don't read ever, right? They don't read. They don't read large documents. No. Okay, very interesting. And so that is really where it started of having that, that, you know, it's an itinerary online, you can build it, you can customize it, but that you're kind of gauging them in the right direction. Yeah. And so these are actually, and this comes out of my experience building an email marketing platform. So you set up your email template, but you personalize it, right? And then you do dynamic content, right? So your your ladies are getting, you know, the the tops and your guys are getting the, the hot new sneakers, right? It's the same email template, but the products are different based on who you're showing it to. The same idea here, which is, okay, well, my teachers see an itinerary that is maybe a little bit more detailed than my students who are on the trip see. And so we do all that for you based off the template that you set up and then the data that you enter, like a little trip CRM. It's like, okay, Mary is the teacher, Christopher is the student. And so, and then you can see them. So you can preview, like, what's Mary going to see? What's Christopher going to see to make sure that it looks the way you want it to. But then we auto-generate those travel portals for you and make those really accessible. And so that's what the Tourpreneur Connect uh, attendees are experiencing is their own personalized portals and their own personalized schedules if they have, you know, if they've opted in and out of different things in that schedule. And because I've created it as best I can, they're all seeing the same thing. So if you're watching this before Seville, don't get excited. You're going to have a personal, uh, different curated for just for you. It's everyone's getting the same one, but it is pretty. It is pretty. Well, it, and actually, this is a really good point. And this is the thing about technology. And every every business is at a different level. And we had this with our email marketing as well. It's like some clients, it's like they just personalized the emails with the first name. And that was all they could manage. It was a big lift to do dynamic content based on gender profiles and products that were selling well. And like, that's a big project. And so not all companies need to do that. Not all companies are sophisticated enough to do that. But, you know, having a tech platform that you can kind of grow into. So maybe next year, Repreneur Connect 2.0 is going to have like, you know, different tracks and based on what kind of tour operator you are, or maybe based on what region you're coming from or something, they're going to have slightly different content. But, you know, since the tool has that option, it gives you the flexibility to be creative. And if you have the vision for it and the resources for it, then you can execute it. Jen, can you give just a basic of what Yuli is and does sort of the tagline? I really probably just so we have context as we move forward in our conversation, just people know exactly what the platform is. Yeah, so Yuli is a uh, is a platform that powers specifically group travel businesses, uh, and it it empowers the planners of trips to create itineraries, uh, pricing and booking pages, and tasks, forms, and documents in one traveler portal. So it sort of solves all your problems if you operate primarily as a group travel business. Like it becomes the heart of your business. And then we integrate with your accounting platform, your CRM, whatever downstream systems that you need us to talk to. Uh, and we basically make it so that your travelers have the best kind of digital customer experience with your brand before they have the most amazing offline travel experience with your brand. 
though we especially find that that companies who understand the importance of setting that sort of brand tone before the trip so it's not just a bunch of emails in the inbox that they didn't read and it becomes a you know this beautiful continuous interactive traveler portal leading up to their trip yeah lovely i you've already kind of hinted to a few of these groups already but i think it's so interesting that you're getting such a diverse uh section of the travel industry and i'm curious who you're seeing like what that landscape looks like like we've talked about student travel but i know there are content creators out there i know there are retreats being run by coaches who are running their own retreats. there are tour guides who are running their own programs and, and going through you um wh what are you seeing yeah, well, we have a partnership with um, Wanderlust Entrepreneur. Uh, if you've gone through or are going through her amazing training program, so Dr. Sherry will teach you how to run profitable retreats. So absolutely recommend her blueprint program. And then you can uh, subscribe to our uh, Wanderlust Entrepreneur uh, memberships, which are very specialized for that retreat world. So, um, so check that out if you're if you're a retreat or coach person, especially if you're only running like one retreat a year, right? And that's the thing is like, you know, especially if you're new to it or if you're really really specialized, you're probably not going to run very many right away. And so we do offer those plans that get you started there. And then we are also partnering with the Transformational Travel Council, and you know those companies come in all shapes and sizes. And I actually just traveled with one of them, walking mentorship in spain we did the camino with them and i uh, can't recommend them enough just from a personal level i find travel transformational just as a general rule and they just kind of like took it to the next level so if you're looking for an opportunity to really um, disconnect but then reconnect with what matters to you in a really safe and structured way while you're like walking through the spanish countryside wow. and like having you know, amazing Spanish food along the way, then walking mentorship is for you. Uh, and so that's so specialized, right? And so I think one of the trends that we do see, regardless of what, whether your retreat, tour operator, trips, uh, that kind of thing, you're specialized. You, you, you're, you're not just a tour of the Camino. Like, sure. I mean, you can walk the Camino by yourself, right? But Walking Mentorships gives you a particular product that you can only get with them. And because they they create an experience for you that is that is quite unique. And every group is unique. They were very clear about that. They're like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing that has been created because of the people that have gone with you and the experiences that you've shared together, right? Uh, and so, yeah, I think that that's a bit of my why in terms of the travel. Like, I, I love to see that those kinds of experiences in the world uh, because the more connected we are to who we are and the less stressed we are, you know, better decisions we make, the more we can care for the people in our lives, you know, very much agree. And I, I think this yeah. is trending. Like I, I, I'm seeing more and more of this. I'm seeing, you know, as I know larger multi-day, more traditional operators are maybe struggling to get, a demographic that's younger that wouldn't typically take a group tour that sees group tours as something oh that their parents or their aunts do right um mm -hmm. i'm seeing those same customers go instead on a content creator trip oh, and oh, pay sure. 
high, like for luxury prices, you know, like yeah. people are very, very eager for something that's different. And I think you're seeing a lot of that in your sphere. Mm. Well, I think I saw in one of your newsletters, Kentucky is rebranding them social tours. Yeah. From group tours. So I think that's Kentucky is an interesting them. example, right? Because they are for a young market. So there, there is, there is a market, but I think that's still considered budget. Right, Kentucky so much is, is added on. You have the base price oh, and then all the yeah, activities yeah. Are, are added. So people look at that as a budget way. I mean, Intrepid, they have higher levels, right? But but yeah. it is a more budget adventure way to travel. You're expecting to rough it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and I just- We, we have seen a lot of that sort of luxury end of it. So, um, you know, we have clients like Insider Expeditions. They actually run tours, um, white labeled for- their kind of influencers or clients and so um that's really interesting to see like you know some of those trips can be twelve thousand dollars a person right for a seven-day tour uh you know so yeah absolutely you know luxury level but but it's a group trip right but you know people don't see that as a negative in the context like if you structured your group trip properly the group is part of the product right like the trip that i just did in spain like if it had just been me and the guide, it would have been like, you know, nice, but not nearly the same kind of experience that, that we had. So I, I think, I think it's really interesting to see them kind of rebranding it. And that we've struggled with that as well, just because we say we power group travel and it's like, we like to think we're kind of moving past to like 50 people on a bus is what group travel is like, but sometimes people still kind of have that in their heads and it's like. No, I mean, we're talking like 12 people, eight people, sometimes up to 20 kind of thing. Um, solo female travelers, a, a client of ours, they, there's tons of those kinds of companies that specialize in making it safe and fun for women to travel all over the place, you know, even if you don't have a travel buddy. So, um, so yeah, I, I think, I think group travel's great. I mean, obviously I'm slightly biased, but I, I think, <laughs> I think other people are catching on as well. And yeah, and it's, uh, it's almost this new version of group travel, right? I think the 50 person bus, we have a while until that's no longer in demand. I think there's going to be customer for that a while yet. But, but even there, like there is, it's hard to describe the value, I think, of group travel sometimes. Like as someone who, you know, has family members and friends who don't work in travel, you know, they see the prices of, of a trip on Alice Obscure and they're like, wow, it's so expensive. But it's like, okay, but think about it. If you were to do this yourself, you know, the cost of the the transportation, the cost of the private cooking experience, whatever it is, that's being divided by 10 people. And so it's really like you, it would be astronomical, the cost to do it by yeah. yourself. But that's a very hard pitch when all the activities are things you could theoretically figure out yourself. So that's why yeah. I think we're seeing this demand for, or at least this rise in the market of a demand for something that seems more unique whether or not it is right whether or not you can figure it out yourself it's it's yeah. the ease oh access that i couldn't access and then to your point the people who do it well are pitching that group as the value it's like oh and you're traveling with like-minded travelers for x y and Z yeah reason. and so i think at the small group level that's absolutely like the the group is the product and so you know um you're gonna make friends sometimes friends for life on some of those solo female traveler trips right because you're in these really incredible experiences together um but then we also have the other end of that which is events 
So this is something that we've seen kind of, we've actually gotten pushed into that. So we started with retreats and trips and tours and things. And then we started getting events on the platform. Like that's interesting. Um, so some of them are classic like conferences like Tour Partner Connect, but some of them are actually just um, 300 person tours effectively, right? Like huh. think about it, right? And it's basically four days in Colombia centered around a concert, right? Like you're coming for the long weekend to see this DJ, performer, whatever it is, but you're also going to get a tour of Colombia while you're there. And so you're, you know, you're booking in with 300 other people because, you know, it's, it's a, it's like a music festival that you're going to or something like that. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of doesn't matter that you're going with 300 people because you're going to a place that's going to have like thousands of them anyway, in some cases. So, um, I find this really fascinating because each one of them is completely unique. So this is sometimes different than maybe a tour operator would think of like, okay, I need to figure out my product and I need to be able to like deliver a consistent product every single time. Whereas these event tour companies have basically said, we figured out the way to structure these so that we know how to operationalize it. But every single one is unique, hmm. unique destination, unique um, sort of event that it's centered around. And then because they're selling to such a large number of people, they only need to run like four or five a year to make the same money that you might get from running 12 or, you know, 50. Right? It's very interesting to me because I feel like there's such a beautiful middle ground that could be created where you have, you know, the tour, the travel tour, and then you have the conference or the event. And then for those two to merge and take things from each other and, you know, take the structure of the mm -hmm. group tour and all the amenities and how everything's included and that's so nice you show up and everything's been taken care of but yes. then to add that uniqueness and that like it's only going to happen this one time and so there's an urgency in in selling that which is really interesting as well yeah and i think that if if you can figure that out in terms of um if you know how to structure an event right and i do think event planning is a is a particular skill right yeah. but i think being able to merge those two things creates a very unique thing. Um, so yeah, I, I've I've been really impressed watching customers do this, um, and and that's partly what sort of pushed our platform to to develop more functionality, like you guys are exploring now. So we have like book a meeting functionality um, and profiles, so you can actually allow people to publish information about themselves to other members of the group, which is typically not done in a tour. Uh, but we are starting to find, especially with some of the smaller, you know, sort of niche operators, they're starting to do that with the with their smaller groups too. So not just on the conference mm. side. So we are finding sort of like the conference features kind of filtering back in and getting picked up by the uh, by the tour operators as well. So I'm really cool. fascinating to see that, especially like you know talking about sort of the the tech scene. Um, we specifically thought we were just travel tech and then we got pushed into event tech by our customers even though like if you survey the market you're like oh there's too many event platforms why why would we even enter that space and then it's like oh well apparently because there's this new kind of you know, event category that is more like a tour than it is like your classic events which the other platforms are serving um 
And so, so there's a space for us to sort of serve this emerging events, events tours. I feel like I need to come up with event tour. I mean, experiences, right? These are all experiences at the end of the day. And I think this makes so much sense because, you know, when you look at your competitor analysis, for example, very often tour operators are looking at other tour companies. And it's like, that is not necessarily your only competitor. Your competitor are the concerts the music festivals, the other things that people could be doing with their time. Mm. Well, and so if you merge those two things together, it's like exactly. you can go, you know, uh, you can go to, to um, I think the most recent one was uh, go to Egypt and watch a concert at the pyramids, right? Yeah, wow. that, so like, yes, exactly. You can do both, right? Exactly. So you satisfy two very like, yes, I want both of those experiences and I can get them in one. And it changes the price dynamic for sure. So that's definitely something to to look into in terms of that. And then we do find with those larger events, it often ends up being a lot about inventory management. So like, because they block out large hotel uh, room blocks. And then, you know, so that's part of what we do is make sure that you don't oversell your different room types. And so that's kind of that, um, that sort of, conferency kind of thing of like the room block concept um but you know that's a great way to kind of give a like a pretty luxury experience because if you're booking out like we have some clients who like go book out a whole resort wow like you can get a, get a much better price for that um so you're giving a very luxury experience but again but you're dividing it across a large number of people so to your point about you get a lot more then you get a lot more looking at directly and it doesn't have to take away from the intimacy i think like yes a small group tour there is a lot of special value in that but it's not to say that you can't create special moments of intimacy with a huge crowd you could definitely oh absolutely i i have every confidence you guys are gonna do that in sevilla yeah well (laughs) we'll all see um, if you're listening to this like later on um, and you notice like a panic to my voice, it's that we're a month out from Seville. So there's a lot of emotions. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is an interesting challenge, right? Because it's how do you take something that's traditional, like a conference, and make yeah. it a little bit more interesting and, and break the scripts a little bit, which we love to yeah. do for a printer. Make it an experience. Yeah. So all these different types of product right that you're seeing mm-hmm. what data are you seeing across all of these clients that that's the same is there any sort of commonality amongst their customers where they're coming from things like that so uh just kind of looking back over the last 90 days in our stats um so we integrate with google analytics with their e-commerce module so we can kind of see you know where is that where are customers coming from kind of across our client base and um so the good news is that uh, conversions are up 30 percent our last 90 days, which we really love to see. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we do recognize, you know, different operators are, you know, slowing down or speeding up and things like that. But just overall, our current trend is definitely on the way up. Uh, part of that for us, I think, is is in the student travel space, because we've definitely seen that that's uh, sort of because it was so pent up for so long, there's a lot of demand there. And um, a lot of sort of government-funded programs that just need to go. So, despite all the economic issues that are kind of happening, those programs are still running. So, if you're thinking about moving into the student travel space, hot I definitely, definitely recommend. Uh, and then within that, one of the things that we've seen 
just on the acquisition side of it, um, email. Like I, I, not just because I built an email marketing platform in my day, but uh, email was was always the thing. Like when we were, I was working at Cheetahmail, I was like, this is going to be the email killer. This is going to be the email killer. There was always something that was going to kill email as the marketing channel. Email is still like far and away um, in the top three for our clients in terms of conversion rate. So wow. build your email list um, and send people emails. And uh, also in that category is, of course, emails that come from our platform. So we have a thing called register to pay. So you can express your interest without booking. You can kind of like get people in and then they're like, oh, I'm not sure yet. And then we send them little messages automatically and then they pay. That's great. So, <laughs> uh, so definitely email. Uh, organic search is, is up there, kind of like four or five. Uh, social, always a little bit lower. So we okay. we don't see organic social converting directly. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's like, to me, organic social is the way to get them to your website, mm -hmm. to get them on your email list so you can send them email so that then they convert by email, right? So that's a- uh, Very top of the funnel marketing. That's how you need to think mm -hmm. about social. Don't think about it as your conversion. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, and we've been seeing a lot of clients starting to have more success with affiliates. So I think, you know, if you're working with a creator uh, who just wants to recommend you, you can actually do a, a track by affiliate and you can give them a link and then they can sort of recommend you. So even if you're not necessarily partnering directly or them coming on one of your tours, um, you can just have them be a classic affiliate, right? So, so that's been more and more popular. So we do recommend that one, but it's, you know, not... It's not, it's not the top one, but it, it, it definitely has an impact, especially if you invest time in it. And then my final tip from our acquisition data is paid search is probably not where you want to invest your, your funds. Uh, we haven't seen it like make a difference. I think that's because our clients are very specialized and I think the paid search, you know, is much more of a like you know, buy these red shoes. Um, hey, that book you were looking at, that kind of thing, you know, they're, they're sort of smaller purchases. Oftentimes our clients are selling $3,000, $5,000 trips. You know, are you going to click and buy something that expensive from an ad? Probably not. Now you could use ads again as a way of sort of like top of funnel, just right. to kind of get onto your email list. Right. So, uh, but as a, as a direct conversion tool, so my advice is don't run out, dump a bunch of money into pay search and expect that to turn into bookings. At least not if you're in the sort of specialized experiential group travel space. That's so interesting. I think email marketing is really having a, a golden time at the moment. Like even this idea of, I mean, I'm on so many newsletters at this point through, you know, Substack or Beehive or all these, like everyone's getting into the newsletter game, um, which I just, as a side note, totally fascinated by it. I'm on all these newsletters about newsletters because I think it's so interesting. Like people are monetizing so just the newsletter. Um, yeah. But it, but there is there is something intimate about it. Like these you know, newsletters that I anonymously subscribe to, like they're meant to be very interactive. So there's polls and they want you to reply because it helps their click-through rates and their response rates. And they'll reply back to you. So you, you do start to feel like you have this relationship 
Whereas all I did is an email. Some some person is like writing their thoughts once a week and, and some of them are more valuable than others. But um, but I just think it's really interesting. That's kind of where we're at. So I think people are becoming used to signing up for newsletters as a way to get to know. Um, yeah. And so when you get to know someone in that way, then you are going to buy, right? Because it is now you right. have this relationship, you have this trust, you feel like you know this brand really well. Um, and I think that's really interesting that you're seeing the conversions come through the email. Yeah, and I think that's the intimacy. That's that mm-hmm. it's because you feel like you know them. You feel like you can trust your your travel, your time, your money with with this person because you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I know this person now. I know what kind of experience I'm going to get from this person from this group. And I and I think I think that's uh, to me a beautiful thing. Like, and I hope this happens across the board where we shift away from. Oh, I don't care. I just need to see the Eiffel Tower. It's like, I mean, but is that really the only reason you've gone to Paris? Like, you know, and I think more and more people are like, no, I feel like I need more than that. And so then it does matter who you travel with. And it isn't just the cheapest ticket to get into the thing. It is what is the best experience that I can get to make the most of the time um, especially because flights are so expensive now. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I also think there's such um, an oversaturation. Like I don't have the stats on this, but in my, my view, the average customer is going to buy tour is going to get, get your guide. Like they don't have a sense that you can book directly through these companies or have this relationship. So I think mm. when they do fall upon that through the top of, top of funnel stuff, like social media, yeah. um, that they're like, oh, wow, how incredible that I have found this one company yeah. and this one brand. And yeah. it's always interesting when you talk to these smaller brands, like how their customers found them, right? And it's always mm. kind of random or through through word of mouth. But once they find them, they're very loyal. And there are these companies mm-hmm. that are running, you know, all these different trips and always adding new trips, which doesn't seem like the best model financially, but they're filling it with their email list. So even if they have under 500 people, let's say, on the email list, if they're running 10 tours a year, they can easily fill those tours. And the pricing yeah. right, then they're making a profit rate. So then it, it makes time or it makes financial sense for them to create new content to get these repeat customers back. And now your customer value is so much higher. Yeah. Well, at the end of our Spain trip and the last dinner we were discussing how we were going to do a reunion next year. Mm-hmm. We we're like already planning. We're like, we need to see all of each other again. And so we're like, Zhao, you're going to run a tour for us next year. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the business model that you want, right? Where your, your, your clients are, are sort of demanding to travel with you again. Yeah. And forcing, forcing yeah. you to run another extra tour. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of going on the other side of this coin, because we've been talking a lot about the travel business, you know, travel tech, which I'm going to say with air quotes almost, because I feel like that phrase is used so often. The travel tech space is busy. It's loud. I'm tangentially involved in it and that, you know, I'm surrounded by and I hear it all the time. And, um, you know, I'm I'm on a Slack with the tourpreneur team. So Peter's always going off and talking about these different travel tech and, and, but for me, from my outside layperson view, I'm hearing there's so much funding. That's why there are all these companies. But then, oh, all these companies, they're they're crashing and burning because the funding has run out. And it seems like there's a new company popping up each week doing different things mm. and all under this umbrella of travel tech. And a lot of the people yeah. also, again, from my outside view, 
seem to not be from the travel world. They're coming in from other from other. So my my question is, you know, how that landscape looks from your point of view in terms of, you know, how robust this tech travel tech industry is. And then Yuli seems to be doing great. So then what's your secret? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I, I in some ways, I don't think of us as being travel tech uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in a lot of ways. Travel tech would be like the OTAs, uh, which tend to be in in my personal opinion kind of like feeding all the problems with the travel industry like they're aggregating they're slashing margins um you know they're taking the money away from the people actually delivering the experiences um they're driving you to the top selling products which means that people go to the same places instead of scattering out and having really diverse experiences so to me that's what's kind of often called travel tech it tends to be high volume um, and I, I think a little bit aggressive. Um, so when we started Yuli, we very specifically were focused on sort of the niche experience world. And, you know, yay, it turns out that's a thing that people really value. So, you know, we've been sort of riding that trend. Uh, in some ways, you might call us ResTech um, because you can book on the platform, register, complete forms, stuff like that. So sometimes we get categorized like that. But ultimately, I think of us as being uh, B2B SaaS. So we're software as a service, right? So, uh, you know, when I built Yuli, I was, you know, I had been working for a company that sold to enterprises, right? Like, if you weren't Victoria's Secret, you couldn't afford our software, right? And it's like, okay, well, the people that I see creating a lot of amazing value in the world aren't up there. They're, you know, running 10 trips a year, 20 trips a year. And so I wanted to make enterprise quality software accessible to people who who couldn't pay those bigger prices. And so SaaS is the way to do that, right? And um, so that's what we set out to do. We now support people through their whole journey as they as they grow as big as they, as they want to get with us. Um, and we do actually have an enterprise level product because we've found that um, some people want to completely white label everything. And so then we just, it's our you know, highly customizable, very white labeled version of the Uli platform. Uh, so, so that's where, uh, that's one way that we sort of think of ourselves differently and we talk to our customers differently and we're, we're less volume oriented and, you know, yes, we love like 30% conversion growth, like, yay. Um, obviously that matters, but we also care that we are, supporting entrepreneurs to launch their businesses. We're supporting old school businesses that are 30 years old to transform their operations to finally become digital, right? We like we like those success stories. Like, I think that's kind of what we're in it for. And uh, my experience selling in that space is that it takes time. It is not a fast growth model. And so your classic VC funding model is bring in $5 million and just grow, right? Get on the phone, call people, make them buy your product. They might not, lo- they might not love it, but they'll probably stick because, because what can they do? You know, kind of like it, that's kind of the, um, the model. And, you know, look, I'm, I, I played my, I played my game back in New York and kind of, you know, grow big, grow fast kind of thing. And I just decided, no, I want to build a company that actually services and cares about the companies that are on the platform and we'll get as big as we get. 
you know? And so we don't have VC investors that are pushing us to, to sort of grow fast or die. And so that's why we survived the pandemic. And that's why we continue to grow through these challenging times because our customers are loyal in the same way that their travelers are loyal. Like we try to very much align our values with the values of our clients. And I love that. I like to think that's how we're getting run one race. <laughs> I like that. I like a success story of, of of building something slowly and intentionally and being flexible about the definition of success in a way, right? Um, that's interesting. I So I'm curious in this world, like you're saying success of your, of your clients and, and it, I get the impression a lot of them grow with you, that they come in and they're not really sure what they're wanting to we before this call we talked to how so many people are still using paper and pen to do things and you've kind of you know gotten them out of that but are there any like what are you seeing in terms of common things that a lot of your clients are missing out on or, or you know that operators and automation is such a buzzword as well right now but what are what are some mm-hmm. things that like people could be doing and most of them aren't love automation Yes. Right. Um, I live and breathe it every day. I like, you know, I set it up in Azure. I set up in a hump spot. I set it up in Zapier. Like, um, I'm that kind of annoying person. Uh, but I, we recognize that our clients aren't, you know, they're, they're probably going to pick one automation tool and not necessarily want to, or need to have multiple sort of automations going on. And in some cases it can cause them a lot of anxiety because automation's amazing if you know what you're doing. It is a nightmare if you don't understand the power of it, right? Because it's kind of like, it's like kind of like a pressure hose, right? It's just like, yes. you know, it, you know and if you, you yeah. know, then great. It's this powerful, powerful thing. And so um, I think automation should always start with, what are you trying to achieve? What is the problem in your business right now? Is it I spent all my time chasing people to pay their pay after the deposit and pay their balance. Like, and I just, I have to call them. I feel awful when I call them automation, you know, that's a great. So usually does that lots of platforms do that. Please automate that out of your life. Right. But if, if the idea of using AI to write your emails makes you sick and you think that that's just not what, you know, customer service looks like, then don't do it. Right. And I think it's, it's, Making sure that the technology you bring into your business, again, is aligned to your values, solves a problem for you, and most importantly, don't do it all at once. So slowly, intentionally build your tech stack, you know, and find partners that are going to grow that with you. So be careful about getting a cheap developer to throw something together for you. It will fall apart. You won't know how to fix it, right? So if you're building a long-term business, create long-term partnerships with um, with the right kinds of suppliers within the tech space. Uh, so Katie Broadhurst, I strongly recommend. She's an online business manager. Um, there are many of these out there as well. They will come in. They'll look at your business. They'll tell you what tools you should be adopting and how you operationalize that. They can either build it for you or just consult and tell you what they recommend. Uh, so if you if you know you need automation, but you're just terrified to even start the process and you feel overwhelmed, first find an OBM, get to know them, make sure you trust them, 
they will be expensive if they're any good. They will be worth every penny because they they're independent, right? Like they're their job is to improve your experience. Wow. So that's actually so there you go. That's my my automation tip is find an OBM if you if you don't know what you're doing, go find an OBM. Yeah. And it's operational business manager. Online business manager. So online business Sorry. manager. No, no, no. Online business manager. No, because I'm I'm not familiar with that term. That's that's really interesting. And that's a really great tip. So it's almost like invest to do it right and to get the right advice. And then I'm also hearing no automation just for automation's sake. Like it should work for you and solve actual challenges. And roll it out and test it. Mm. And then decide if you're gonna, you know, so maybe do it for one trip. Like, especially if you're going to introduce a mobile app into the experience. So Yuli includes a mobile app. Some customers will value it, some won't. Before you create an operational nightmare of like turning it on for everyone and then, you know, hundreds of complaints come back because why do I have to download an app, whatever. Run it on one one tour and get specific feedback and then go, oh, great. They liked it. Let me do it for everyone. Or, oh, they found no value in that. Let me drop that off my list. Right. And that's the other thing is like letting go of stuff. Like if the app doesn't serve your purposes, it's okay to say, no, I don't, I don't need it. So that giving yourself permission to, to take on the technology that, that works for you and served your business and then doing it kind of um, bit by bit. We're working with a, a very forward thinking company in student travel, Reho in Australia. And uh, Bianca is, is one of the, the partners there. She's got so many amazing ideas and she wants to automate everything. And I absolutely adore her because she, she wants like everything automated. And it's, she's right. And that's where her business is, is going to get to. But she's also recognizing, you know, she's got a team. She's got to bring them along for the ride. She's got customers. She needs to bring them along for the ride. And so it's about, you know, taking you know working with the right tech partner as well to roll those things out slowly so that's the other thing when you're looking at a platform picking one that you can get started with and grow into because platform migrations suck uh (laughs) so uh try not to start on something that's going to constrain your growth if you plan on growth so you know most SaaS platforms will support you on that but just double check like will they let you um, go where you need to and and be priced at that higher end at, at a price that you think you can afford. So that's a great, that's a really great tip. That's very, very, very useful. And I'm, I'm hearing another theme throughout is flexibility, right? This flexibility mm-hmm. to allow yourself to grow as needed and being aware of what you're going to need in the future, being forward thinking enough, but understanding you're going to need to change things along the way. And then it might change your, your definition of the test might change halfway through. And so you have to amend. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and we've seen that with so many different clients and, you know, people had to pivot during the pandemic and, you know, I, I, to this day, am amazed at how many operators and event organizers, you know, made it to the other side. I think that's just a huge testament to everyone's ability to be flexible and, and get through those tough times. So I think if you're one of those, like you can absolutely get through a digital transformation. So no worries. <laughs> Give us a call. You can get rid the pandemic. <laughs> you made the pandemic. You can you can get away from your your manual spreadsheets and and pen and paper. 
<laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, because, you know, in some ways, you know, you ask sort of like, what does Yuli do? With with the clients who really work with us as partners, we do a digital transformation for their business. And it, it can often take one to two years to sort of do a full digital transformation. Hmm. Uh, but we we see, we often launch in one to one to three months, depending on, you know, how many trips they want to launch with us. So uh, we're, we are very much of the mind that like, get immediate value and then iterate from there. So even if you have an established business, you don't have to migrate everything. Mm. Like you can keep, you know, you can keep your existing. So oftentimes we see customers sort of um, any trips that are already fully booked, they just keep it on the old process. And then anything that they're still taking bookings, that's what they move on to the platform. And so that reduces the amount of, of integration work and allows you to get going faster and allows you to get more benefit from the new technology because you're using more of that functionality right away yeah. but there's little things like that and again if you find the right tech partner they will be giving you tips like that so if the tech partner that you're talking to is not sort of trying to help you find the fastest way to get value out of their software mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that's, that's no good right um and you know, the good ones will. And, you know, we're not the only ones out there. Absolutely. Um, and, and we're not the right one for every company. So it's very important that you find a platform that is aligned to, to your needs. Yes. Yeah. Doubly agree. Jen, I have one more question for you. And this is purely out of my own curiosity, but I think it's worth mentioning that so far in my experience with Yuli, every single person on your team has been a female. Mm at least as much as I've interacted with. And I find that very rare in travel. I imagine it's very rare in tech. So I'm just curious, was that intentional? Has it organically happened? What is, how did that come to be? A little bit of both. So my original, original founder uh, was actually a a tech guy, uh, but he decided that um, he didn't want that sort of, you know, uh, bootstrapped uh, startup experience. And so he, he didn't continue on the journey with me. And instead I found two amazing co-founders, uh, Bron, who's our CTO and is still with us, um, and Caitlin, who's our original designer, who um, did transition out of the team. But uh, without them, there's no way I could have uh, created what Yuli is today. And um, probably that all came out of the fact that I was actually based in a female founder co-working space at the time in Australia. Yeah, it was very specific. Yeah, um, you know, it was it was kind of this time when there was uh, like so it was sort of a 2016, 2017 time period, um, and you know it was it's um, one group is uh, it's still around in virtual form. Uh, yeah, uh, so if if you're all, uh, if you're a female founder out in the world and looking for a community, one roof, uh, they're amazing people and they're incredibly supportive i was lucky enough to be there at a time when they actually had a physical co-working space and so i spent i spent a lot of time with women um and you know ironically some of the feedback we got from our early logo was that it was like a little too feminine (laughs) um and we did actually sell primarily to women in the first year um i had some awkward sales conversations one of one of them a guy said to me Oh, so is your husband uh, in in the business with you? 
Um, I hadn't mentioned him. I had, you know, I have a ring on, but I hadn't mentioned oh. my husband in the entire pitch. And so I was like, Hey, bye, sir. Um, though, you know, I think, um, I've been in technology for a long time. I've been the only tech woman at the table quite often. It's amazing to work with Bron. Uh, she's an incredible uh, technologist, an incredible person. And I'm very lucky to have her as a co-founder. And so from that, you know, so that was sort of the core team and we've sort of grown here and there. We do actually hire men um, and we do have three men on the team. There, <laughs> And that is legally required, of course. <laughs> um, and we absolutely adore them. You'll interact with with Sean, if you are um, putting his support oh, tickets. Sean, I'm yes. so sorry. I've interacted with Sean. He's wonderful as well. Thank you. He's got long hair, so maybe, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> um, but no, and and I, I think what you find, and when people talk about, like, diversity and stuff, I mean, like attracts like. And this is this is why tech bro companies are tech bro companies, and that is works why I my leadership team is, a, is all female. And we laugh. Sometimes, like if we were a, a group of male leaders, we would be criticized right now. But I figure we're just balancing the scales. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um, but that being said, you know, um, you know, high hopes for for uh, the men uh, of the world who we're going to be hiring and, and the leadership roles they'll be taking in our company. I promise you um, there is no glass ceiling at Ely for you. So, um, but yeah, I think also just being values driven uh remote first and flexible so you know bronze a mom and so she's got mom priorities and we make sure that that works uh and that that kind of um mentality seems to resonate a little bit more with women at the moment but i think it, it's definitely um starting to resonate more and more with men as well, I think, you know, the remote aspect of it is definitely. Yeah, appealing. it's at least entered the conversation for sure um, during the pandemic, obviously, especially that there is there is a special need um, for caretakers of, of babies, of, of elders and just home responsibilities that that the workplace should be aware of and should be flexible yeah. for for any of their their uh, customers or employees. Yeah. And it's challenging, you know, like, uh, don't get me wrong. It's like, um, being empathetic and flexible takes energy and commitment and intention, uh, yeah, resources so, very often. Yeah. And so again, that that's, that's another reason why I think we, we chose not to go down the VC route because it would have sort of put different kinds of pressures on the team. And so, you know, again, being, being values aligned with our clients, you know, I think uh, was more important to us than sort of um, exponential growth at the cost of our staff, at the cost of potentially selling stuff to people that don't need it. Um, you know, we're, we're really straightforward and honest about, you know, look, you know, these are the high-end plans, but if all you really need is to get started, then here you go. And, and we're very happy for people to to be where they're at and to not kind of trick them into buying something that they don't want, which I think when you have some of those um, funding models, there's so much pressure to do that, that it's really hard to to run a values aligned business. Yeah, no, for sure. And I actually think that's a wonderful, like full circle in this conversation of 
that it works for the tour operators. It works for the companies where tour operators are their clients. It's this idea of sustainable growth, right? Starting with a purpose, having an intention, which is that motivator, which will attract your your clients to you and keep them because your your values align. Um, and then having that slow growth together. So there's nothing being forced. There's nothing trying to fit when it's when it's not ready to fit in there yet. I think that's just a beautiful like like fits for everything in life, right? That philosophy and the method. Yeah. I mean, think about what the world would be like if we all ran our businesses with intention and patience and you know, a desire for sustainable growth, but not necessarily exponential. Uh, you know, if, if that comes to you and that's that's what you want, then that's great. But you know, as a forced thing, I think that's um, that's not actually success. So I, I think, and I, I see that with our clients um, so often. Many of them, you know, they hit a point and they just they're like, no, I'm not going to get any bigger than this because. I, I'm reaching the number of people that I want to reach and I've created the life that I want to create. And, you know, I, I think that's great too. So, yeah, you know, I love that. So well done to all of you who are, who are sort of living that dream and creating the businesses that are value aligned. Yeah. Agreed. Jen, thank you so much. Where, where can people find you? If they have thoughts, they have comments, they, they want to ask yeah. you about Julie. Well, you can absolutely find me on LinkedIn. So Jen Fine, um, I think I'm one of like two or something. Oh, so, awesome. uh, and I've and I've got Digital Nomad in my name, so you can find me really easily. Um, I'm actually going to be at the uh, Jordan ATTA event this week. Uh, still on, and um, yeah, where else can you find me? Oh, yeah, uh, go.uli.io. So check it out. You can book in demos with us there. Um, and, uh, you can also just explore the platform for free. So I look forward to hearing what you guys think. Uh, we're always processing your feedback and always trying to, to get better based on what you need from us. Thank you, Jen. I'll see you in Seville. <laughs>